Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Luke chapter 22. We're going to start at verse 54. It says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it from ourselves, from his own lips. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the sacrifice of your son. I thank you that in Christ we can be made whole. Lord, and as we dig into your word this morning, I pray that we would have ears to hear, hearts to understand, and that we would grow closer in the knowledge of you. Father, I pray that your anointing be on Jackie this morning, Lord, that you would speak through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a question that Jesus has asked in our text this morning that's a vital question for us to kind of deal with, and that is, are you the Son of God? There's a lot of things hinge on that, or they ought to for us. Are the, are the things that Jesus said true, and if they are, will we respond as though they are? What would we expect to find if, if, this, is a, if this is a true statement? Well, what, would we, what, would we think, what would we think would follow something like that? Like, I don't know, maybe that uh, there's something special about the way he was born? Oh, Luke chapter 1 verse 34 says, And Mary said to the angels, How can this thing be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. That means set apart, different. He's different. What's different? The Son of God. He's the Son of God. Isaiah chapter 7 tells a prophecy. And at the time of Isaiah chapter 7, God was saying to the king, 
through the prophet Isaiah, ask me of us for a sign and I'll give you a sign that I'm with you. And the king didn't believe God. And he said, I don't want to ask for a sign. So God said in Isaiah 7, 14, but a sign will be given unto you. What was the sign that the Lord said? He said, behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew tells us is translated what? God with us. Isaiah chapter 9. I love Isaiah chapter 9 because in John 3.16, we'll look at it in a minute. It says, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Oh, listen to Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Interesting, no? And the government will be upon his shoulder. What government? The only real government. Anybody frustrated with government? No? Everybody's okay? Yeah, if we ignore them, we hope they'll go away. But you know they won't, right? Because we, if we learn anything from history, what do we learn from history? That all governments are corrupt. And we're going we're gonna to do the same crazy social experiment. Okay, Here's the same crazy social experiment. We have some form of democracy and eventually people are frustrated with the form of democracy. And so they think, you know what we need is socialism. And so they run the socialism. And what happens under socialism? Well, in the 20th century... 120 million people were killed as a result of socialism. That's historical fact. What does it teach me? That we don't learn. What's the problem? Listen, this will be earth shattering for us. The problem is not your government. The problem is not your politicians. The problem is not somebody else. The problem is me. The problem is you. That we are broken. And there's three kind of people in the world. There's a person who says, I'm broken and I don't care. There's a person who says, I'm not broken. And then there's a person who says, I'm broken and I need Jesus. And if you're the kind of person who says, I'm broken and I need Jesus, then there's hope. Because he can make us better than we are. Because apart from that, the things we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke all point to the fact that the government is on his shoulders. That he's the king. That we try to do it His way, but we mess it up. We are compassionate when we ought not to be. We're apathetic when we ought to be passionate. We have all of these issues in our life because we're broke. There's something in us that's just not right. And in Christ, it can be made right. Now, I can ignore it and say I'm not broken, but then I'm a liar. Or I can say, I'm broken and I don't care. Now I'm at least being honest. But that's how it all breaks down. Why why do we need a king? Because we can't do it ourselves. We declared our independence in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, mankind said, I don't need you, God. I can work this out myself. That's what we did. That's called the fall. From the fall, we go to the corruption in Genesis chapter 6 the corruption of man by the uh, by the fallen angels then we go from chapter 6 to chapter 11 that's a rebellion of man against god which all correlates to the same reality we keep running the same cycle over and over and over again why is it that when a man divorces his wife he is 
50% more likely to get a second divorce. 75% more likely to get a third. 100% more likely to have a fourth. Oh, because we're not broke? Oh, no, it's always the wife. My, I keep marrying the same crazy person. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a crazy woman in my life. Really? Let me tell you something. If you screwed it up four times, you're the problem. Not somebody else. What's the reality? Here's the reality of marriage. I don't know if you want to hear it or you don't want to hear it. You're a mess. They're a mess. If you take both of your messes together and submit them to Christ, you got a chance. If you pretend you're not a mess and they're a mess, then you're, you're doomed. Right? The reality is, man, we, we all need Jesus. What's the issue of Him being the Son of God? Man, He's the answer to the things that we need. And, and, and what would we expect from someone who is the Son of God? We expect special birth no yeah that's a historical fact we'd also expect that there'd be something special about his person who he is yeah he's a pretty amazing historical character no you know people always like i love talking about evidence with people but most people are well we'll just say broken what i want to say is dumb but I'll say I'll just say they're broken. Because the reality is, look, when we go, when we look over historical evidence, I'm not talking about the Bible, I'm talking about historical evidence. There are irrefutable facts. You know what they are? That Jesus was crucified for saying he was the Son of God. But today people will say Jesus never said he was the Son of God. <laughs> okay. All right. Two thousand years later, you're going to tell me what Jesus said, right? We're going to ignore the people who wrote about what He said. You're going. You're the authority now. That makes me a little scared. Maybe you shouldn't be the authority now. We look at the incontrovertible facts. There's a whole thing called the Jesus Seminar that gets together and decides. Uh, uh, John Dominic Crossan. You guys heard of him? John Dominic Crossan. He's one of the guys on the Jesus Seminar. He's uh, he is a very well educated in uh, theology. He's not a believer. Um, he, he, he'll tell you that. Uh, I don't have to be the one to tell you that. But they get together, this group of guys, and they decide what it is out of the Bible that Jesus really said. And I think when they get together and decide what Jesus really said out of the Bible, they come up with like 2% of what's in the Bible Jesus really said. Wow. Based on what? Well, we're just pretty sure he wouldn't have said something like this. Are, you're kidding me, right? No, these are the brightest men that we can come up with. The smartest guys, most well-educated, they come together, they look at what the Bible says, they sit down and say, well, he probably said only 2% of this. You have got to be outside your head. And people love to believe it. Why do they love to believe it? Because they love the dark. Give me a reason why I can walk in my sin. Oh, yeah, he probably never said that. He probably never really lived. He probably never really was around. But the reality is, historically, by, by the way we judge all historical evidence, like, for example, the existence of George Washington. Anybody doubt that? By the, by the ways that we judge all historical evidence, there is more evidence for 
the birth, the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ, the teachings, the miracles, the crucifixion, his burial and resurrection, than anything else you call history. But as long as we just want to throw it all out, well, you know, that probably never really happened. The majesty of Christ would demand that we honor the truth of who he is. When John the Baptist saw him, what did he say? John the Baptist looked at him in John 1.34 and he said, I have seen and bore witness, this is the Son of God. That's historical eyewitness account. No? John 1.46, Nathaniel came to him. Andrew says, hey, come see Jesus. And Nathaniel says, I don't know. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like, can anything good come from Buell? Or maybe, can anything good come from Castleford? Or can anything good from, come from Twin? Or come, come from Filer? Probably not. We're all a mess, right? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And he said, oh, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? So Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Whoa, something just happened, right? Well, how would he know that? You are the King of Israel. Just because he said, whatever Jesus' conversation with Nathanael was, something, something special just happened there, right? You ever had one of those alone times where you're sitting around and you're just going, God, do you hear me, God? Are you real? Is this really happening in my life? And nobody else is around. And then all of a sudden you come walking up to this guy you've never met. And he looks at you and says, you know, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, you are the son of God. Nathaniel makes a proclamation he makes a proclamation that God is there. God is with him. In Hebrews 1, 5 through 9, this is what they say about the person of Jesus Christ. For whom of the, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be unto him a father and he shall be unto me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, let all the angels worship him. Wait, wait a minute. Who are you only supposed to worship? Interesting, no? Of all the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds. His ministers are flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, this is God speaking, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Wait, what did he just say of the Son? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So God just said to the Son, God just called the Son God. Are you paying attention? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God. Oh, man, that's kind of confusing, right? Yeah, it is kind of confusing. Because you have God the Father calling God the Son, God. How else would you do that? Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Man, there's something amazing about him. And the message of salvation comes from the Son of God. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Only. The word is monogamous. Monogamous. You guys have heard the word monogamy before? Yeah, does monogamy mean begotten? I really can't stand that word. Begotten. Why? Because then we all struggle with, well, begotten means made, right? No, the word is monogamous. One and only. What is a monogamous relationship? Means you're true to one person, right? There's just one thing, right? Monogamy. Monogamous. He's the one and only Son of God. One and only. Eternal in the heavens. It says that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish but have what? Ah, that's a long time. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world's already condemned. He sent His Son so that the world would be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already. You can deny your brokenness. You can deny your need. It doesn't mean you don't have one. Because He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Are you the Son of God? And that question that Jesus has asked, all of these things hinge. So we look at our text this morning. And we begin with the fact of what happened to somebody who did believe he was the Son of God, right? Twice in Peter's relationship with Jesus Christ, he declared him to be the Son of God. Caesarea Philippi, if you come with us to Israel in November, we'll go to Caesarea Philippi. We'll stand right at the headwaters of the Jordan River, where Jesus had this conversation with his disciples. Who do men say that I am? You guys remember? Some say this, some say that. And then he asked the important question. What was that? Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? Peter said, I say that you are the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church. What's the rock? That confession. The confession Jesus Christ is the Son. Peter, he made that confession. In fact, just the night before he was arrested, right? Peter is standing there and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And what did Peter say? Well, all these other guys might deny you, but oh, not me. In John chapter 6, Jesus uh, uh, had made a, a, a difficult teaching. And a bunch of people left him. Right? You ever get the chance to be a preacher, you'll know what this is like. When you preach something that people don't like. Jeremiah knew what it was like. Even Jesus knew what it was like. He preached something people didn't like. You know what they did? They left. So he looked at the disciples and said, are you leaving too? And Peter said, where else would we go? You're the only one who has the words of life. That's Peter. Somebody who believed Jesus was the Son of God. But here in the beginning of our text, we see something true about Peter. True about you, true about me. He's broken. He's broke. Look what it says. So then they seized him, they arrested him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following 
at a distance. Now, if you come with us to Israel, we go to a place called St. Peter of Galicantu, which means St. Peter of the place where the rooster crows. And we go to a room, a pit, in a place under Caiaphas' house that has been marked by the Crusaders with Crusader crosses. And everywhere that the Crusaders marked with the Crusader cross was because there was something that happened there. Something took place. We're under Caiaphas' house. What took place under Caiaphas' house? Well, we're going to read about it today. Jesus sat waiting for a trial, being abused by guards. In the pit under Caiaphas' house. It's one of those places where we get to stand in, not a place like it, the place, where those things happen. Peter, following at a distance, comes into this area. The, the Bible, the other Gospels would tell us it's because of John. John, the, the uh, disciple John, has a relationship with the high priest family. See, John's from a family called Zebedee, right? In fact, you go certain places around the Sea of Galilee, you can see a, a pillar today inscribed by, given to the synagogue by the family Zebedee. The Zebedees were a big fish market. So if you wanted fish and you lived around the Galilee, you bought fish from Zebedees. And so there was a relationship between the high priest, their family, they bought fish from that market. John knew them, the Bible tells us, and so they were able to get in, enter into Caiaphas's outer courtyard, where the people who had just arrested Jesus were. So Peter comes there. It says, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together and Peter sat down among them. Now, you guys remember last week, Peter took a whack at somebody. Right? You remember? He chops off Malchus' ear. Right? So, here's the part of the story maybe you don't get. All the people who came to arrest Jesus, they arrested him. There's that little altercation that takes place. Jesus heals him, puts ear back on. All those people go to Caiaphas' house. And they get cold, so they light a fire. And Peter follows at a distance, and he goes in there too. Sitting around the same people who just arrested Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because in a moment, some of those people are going to say, didn't I see you up there with Jesus? And he's going to try to say, no. Yeah, isn't there still blood on your hand? In fact, he's going to talk to Malchus's, one of Malchus's family. I'm pretty sure you were there. Oh, no, no, I wasn't there. This is the same people that were just on the out. We're not separated by a week or something where people could forget. You're separated by how much time it takes you to walk from the, from the, the Garden of Gethsemane to Caiaphas' house. Which, by the way, with a fat guy like me, totally out of shape, can do it in 15-20 minutes. <laughs> that, is that enough time to forget? Why do we lie? We lie because we're broke. Why is a lie the first thing that springs to your mouth? Do you ever ask yourself that? Do you ever ask yourself when somebody... Sometimes it's over stupid stuff. It doesn't matter at all. Who cares? But somebody will ask you something and boom, the lie. Right to your mouth. Don't even have to think about it. What I have to think about is bringing it back and telling the truth. That I have to think about. 
<coughs> but the lie, man, that comes easy. <coughs> so I just want you to understand. There's a little campfire. The soldiers are with Jesus, but the other people who came up, they're around the campfire. They were all there. They saw them all. What is the worst that would have happened if you'd have just said, yeah, I was with them? What's the worst? You're going to throw you in prison too? We ought always to speak the truth. What if it costs you something? Well, let me back up. We ought always to speak the truth. What if it hurts somebody's feelings? Let me back up. We ought always to speak the truth. Period. But here's Peter. Just like me. It says, a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, hey, this man was with him. Why is she saying that? Oh, I saw him once upon a time when Jesus was teaching in the Galilee. No, she's probably up on the hill. You really think all them soldiers, when you got slaves all around you, are carrying the torches? Is that really what you think? Because that's really how, if you're expecting a fight, right? That's what I want in my hand. I want a torch. I'm going to walk up with a torch. So here, let me hold this torch. So all the bad guys in the dark can see me. And I have at least one hand busy. Right? So now if there's a fight, oh, I've got to fight with my other hand. Because I have to hold the torch. Really, that's what you think. When they had servant girls laying around doing nothing, they just say, you guys stay here, I'll carry the torch. No. They're up there on the mountain with him. The servant girl seeing him, looking closely at him. Didn't I just see you like 10 minutes ago when we arrested Jesus? But he denied it. Oh, woman, I, I don't know him. Uh, pretty sure all eyes were on you, Peter. Everybody saw you. You whacked the dude's ear off. It's not like you're one of the disciples hiding in the back. You're right there in the front. A little while later, someone else said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval about an hour, still another insisted, Certainly this man also was with him, for he's a Galilean too. Look, they know it was him. They know it was him. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. Now at that moment, all that stuff that had happened earlier that night come flooding back. When Jesus said, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny you even know me. But there's more to the story. Because it says at that moment, verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man, what was that like? And then I think about that. What was that like? And then I realize every time I open the Word of God, the Son of God is looking at me. Revelation chapter 19 says that when Jesus Christ returns, He has a name written that He is the Word of God. And every time I open up the Word, I realize the Son of God's looking at me. And how many ways in my life am I Peter? 
How many ways in my life am I denying Him? How many ways in my life am I making the obvious lie when the truth would have been so much easier? And maybe the truth costs me. Maybe I get beat. Maybe I get thrown into prison. Maybe I get hated. But what's wrong with all those things if that is the best possible outcome for you? To speak the truth. The Word of God looks into me and James warns me. He says, when the Word of God looks at you, it tells you there's something wrong. The Word of God's a mirror, not a flashlight. Too many people try to use it as a flashlight. What does that mean? They want to shine it on you. Stop. You and your silly little plank eye bug me. Open up the Word of God and realize that the Word of God is a mirror and it's speaking to you. And it's saying to you, man, I got some, I'm, I'm broken. Now that, I'm not supposed to stay in that state. I know people tell me all the time, Jaggy, you harp too much on our broken. Well, as soon as we all walk around like we're broken, I'll stop. But I'm not sure we believe we're broken and we need a Savior and we need someone who fixes us. And we need to rely on them and we need to trust in them and we need them to walk with us and show us the way. We need to come to the Word of God and allow the mirror to show me, oh my gosh, look at all that dirt on my face. It's all coming back to me now. I remember when I was a young man, I had opinions. Some of you probably never have this struggle. I had opinions and I'd see somebody and I'd look at the way they were dressed or what color their hair was or what their hair looked like and I would say, don't you have a mirror? And now people do that to me. All the time. Yeah, they may not actually say, don't you have a mirror? I just see it in the eyes. Mm. Oh, you think that looks good. I'm going to buy you a mirror for your birthday. When we come to the Word of God, when we look at the Word of God, we don't want to be a person who looks in the mirror and goes, that don't look good. We want to be somebody who looks at the mirror and goes, yep, you know what, that, that's messy. I need to take care of that. Now, is the Bible concerned with our outward appearance? No. What's it talking about? It's talking about what's going on in me. My willingness to lie so fast. We're so worried about all the other sin in the world, all the other things going on, and we ignore that. I struggle with it all the time, and I cannot be the only person. And when it happens, I think to myself, why in the world would that want to jump to my mouth so fast? Because I need Jesus every day. Every day, every time I'm thinking, every time I'm responding, I need Jesus. I need Jesus in me. Peter looked at Jesus. And Peter remembered the saying that the Lord said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And until you do that over your sin... I don't know if we have ever really repented. Wept bitter. Peter was utterly broken. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said that he is the cornerstone, right? He's the chief of the corner. And he said, either you fall on him and you are broken. Or he falls on you and you become dust. One of those has a future. The other doesn't. So here we have Peter. 
recognizing and being honest and truthful with himself, which is an important where place to be truthful, no? Because anybody ever been self-deceived? No? Yeah, I'm it. I'm self-deceived all the time. I think I'm not that fat. <laughs> you know why everybody's laughing? Because they're like, how in the world could he think that? Hey, I think I'm not that fat. You know, I could, I could get it back tomorrow if I wanted. Yeah, no, it's gone. It packed up and moved. It's over. Yeah, we deceive ourselves all the time. Right? The, not just the silly things, but some important things, right? Is it possible to, to deceive ourselves into thinking that I have really submitted to Jesus Christ? Is that a possible deception? That's why when we do communion, it's so important what, what the Scripture says. Let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. Am I, am I being real? Am I being honest with me? Have I repented? But I know so much of the church hasn't repented because we continue to walk in sin. We continue to do the same old stuff and pretend it's okay. But we distract ourselves by pointing at everybody else, right? Because their sin's easier to see. All them screwed up people in the world, it's easy to see their sin. But I stand in front of the mirror, I want to be able to see mine. When I weep before the Lord, I want to weep over my sin. What I do, what's wrong with me. Because that is where the healing that came to Peter will come to us. But until that, we're one of those three people. Remember I told you, you either don't care that you're broken, you don't believe you're broken, or you're broken on on him. And this is what it looks like. He wept bitterly. It falls apart. It all falls apart when I see him, when I think about him, when I... Look into his eyes when I see his word looking back at me. The easiest person to compare all this to is, is Judas. Well, you guys were almost in trouble. Turn around and look at the clock. No, go ahead, really. Look at the clock. I'm thinking, I got like 50 more minutes to go. Man, it's a good thing I got a clock in front of me. Somebody better fix that or we're never going to get out of church on time. (laughs) All right, now I forget where I was. Oh, the easiest person to compare Peter to is Judas, right? Judas does the same thing. He betrays him. There's no difference in the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. There is no difference. They're both doing the same thing. The difference is, Peter goes out and weeps bitterly over what he did, and Judas runs to suicide as his savior. Because he's so self-absorbed. Look, I don't, I'm sorry, if you ever think about suicide, let me just tell you. Suicide is the single most selfish act you can do. It means I'm so focused on me, I cannot think about nothing else. And all of a sudden, I'm so shocked that I would b- betray innocent blood. Why was Judas so shocked by that? He came face to face with the mirror that showed him his brokenness, and then he couldn't deal with it. He couldn't run to his Savior. He ran to suicide. Peter, he weeps bitterly. Oh, he saw his brokenness. And he said, man, I'm a mess. 
I thought I was the toughest of the disciples, but I'm not the toughest of the disciples. He wept bitterly. In John 20 and 21, we read about what Jesus does to, to confirm Peter, how he meets him when he's given up and gone fishing, right? But you know what I love about that story? I'm not going to go into the whole story because I only have 10 minutes <laughs> instead of 50. But what I love about that story, listen to it, really. It really matters. They're out fishing and they didn't catch anything. Jesus is on the shore and he says, hey, cast your net on the other side. So for those of you who aren't fishermen, it's like saying, cast on the other side of the boat. Okay. Let me tell you something about fishing. The stupid bait goes the same place either way. <laughs> Do you understand? This is physics, folks. Physics is... If I throw the net on one side, it goes down under the boat. If I throw the net on the other side, it goes down under the boat. It's not like Jesus had some second sight that he's like, oh, they're missing the right spot. No, it has nothing to do with that. What's he want that? What's he want to know? Will you do what I say? Even if it don't make sense? Cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they do it. Because no, no one is as desperate. As a fisherman who has not caught anything. <laughs> yeah. You start looking around. What bait are you using? I'm using this kind of bait. Oh, give me some of that. Oh, it's not working for me. I touched it with my fingers. You need to put your bait on my hook. <laughs> that's, how, that's how fishermen are. That's it. Will they obey him? So they throw the net on the other side. And they haul in this huge catch. 153 fish he catches. He, Peter pulls it in. <coughs> John who is kind of always the more mystical guy, he looks up at the beach and he goes, man, that's the Lord. You remember what Peter did? He didn't run to suicide. Who did he run to? Jesus. He just run to Jesus. He's in such a hurry to get to Jesus, he jumps out the boat. It always, this always amazed me. Normally, if I'm going to jump in the water, I take clothes off. Peter put it on. It says he put on his cloak and jumped in the water. That's how I know he's not thinking clearly. But he, he knew one thing. I need to be where Jesus is. Do you know that? Because that's what a broken person does. A broken person who recognizes brokenness, realizes I'm a wretch. We sing songs like Amazing Grace, right? That I, what a wretch I am. Do we believe those words? We better. We better. I'm a wretch, but I'm not as wretched as them guys out there. You seen those people? You see what they say and what they do, what they believe? Yeah, I'm just as wretched as them. Saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, because it's only the blood of Jesus Christ that saves us. Amen? The next thing we see about Jesus, not only is he denied by someone who believed he was the Son of God, but he's, he's mocked by the people who rejected his claim. Right? Isn't that always how it is? Remember three kinds of people? The people who, who uh, hear it but don't believe it, what do they do? They mock it. Oh, so stupid. Yes, if you're going to check your brain at the door, you can be a Christian after all. You know, are you crazy? Don't listen to that. That's the mocking of the, of the mind that has recognized the truth of what Jesus says and has rejected it. That's not the mind you want to follow. You don't check your... I'm still going to school. 
I go to school every day. I go, not only do I, I'm still taking Bible college classes. I got this crazy idea in the back of my head. I'm going to, I'm going to get my MDiv. When I was a kid, I always thought that was important, you know, because if you have a master's, you can quote yourself. (laughs) I like that rule. I'll actually be able to say, when somebody says why, I can say, because I said so. (laughs) No, I love the pursuit of knowledge. I love pursuing. I want to understand. I want to know. I want to grow. I want to pursue the Word of God. I want to know. I want to grow. I'm not checking my mind nowhere. I'm plugging my mind into what I read, but it's always mocked. How did these guys mock Jesus? Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy, who struck you? I wish he would have done it. Because he knew. Right? He knew. They put a sack over his head and punch him and say, prophesy, who was it that struck you? And they said many other things against him and they blasphemed him. But Isaiah 53 tells us that he was this suffering servant. He was to be despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom we hide our faces, that means we're embarrassed of him. He's the one of whom we hide our faces. We look at him and go, oh, God. I don't want anybody to know. If I say I'm standing with him, they're going to put a sack on my head. Is that how you feel? Is that how you feel? Because for some people... Trying to be faithful to Jesus Christ and, and puts them in places where they are face to face with the mockers and the rejectors of him. And it's lonely there. Because you look around and you're all by yourself. And trust me, the people will come and put a sack over your head and punch you and say, prophesy who hit you. Throw tomatoes, cuss at you. I have been flipped off 10,000 times. Really, when I was young, it used to bug me. Wait, somebody just thought, he just said flipped off in church? (laughs) Yes, he did. Sorry. But the reality is, look, if you're going to stand for Jesus, that's going to happen. If it's not happening, you're not standing for Jesus. You're standing for yourself. Don't fool yourself into thinking I'm standing for Jesus and everybody loves me. That all those other obnoxious people that do that dumb stuff, yeah, if they weren't doing dumb stuff, people would love them too. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if they hate me, they will. If they put a sack over my head and mocked me, they'll do the same to you. But Isaiah 53 says we hit our eyes from him. Whoa, 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 I don't know, I don't know, I, I can't. I don't know. I don't want to be there. And who does? Who does? I don't know. I don't like it. It's been a while since I put myself out there. Just because I don't like that. It's no fun. Is it any wonder that Ezekiel the prophet said the Lord stood on high and he looked to and fro for a man who would stand in the gap and he found none. 
Whoa, 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 how come he didn't find any? Because we hid our eyes from him. Standing up for Jesus costs something, folks. 100% of the time. Standing for him will cost something. Verse 66 says, Now, when the day came... They assembled the elders of the people together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led them away to their council. So they grabbed Jesus, and they're going to go to the council when the day breaks. So <laughs> 6 in the morning, they're, they're starting the meeting. Now, a Jewish day starts at 6 in the night. So they arrested Jesus at midnight, which, by the way, was, was okay. You could arrest somebody at midnight, and you could try him the next day. But you couldn't render a verdict. No rendering a verdict within 24 hours, ever. You try a man, and then you're supposed to chew on it, meditate on it. Unless, of course, you've already decided he's guilty, right? Then you don't need all that. So they get their counsel together, and they ask him, If you are the Christ, tell us. Just tell us plainly, for crying out loud. And people still today will say that. Well, why didn't Jesus just say it plain? Well, how much plainer can you say than I am? I don't know. Does it get any plainer than that? He didn't use the words you liked. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll alert the media. Yeah, look. He says it as plain as you and I say anything. He said it plain. Look at it. He says, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, even if I tell you, you're not going to believe. Right? They're not going to believe. They're not going to believe. And he says in in verse 68, And if I ask you, you will not answer. What's he mean? He means if I tell you, you won't believe. And if I ask you, let me go. You're not letting me go. I know why I'm here. And you know why I'm here. But it's not to be tried in court. It's to be crucified. But from now on, listen to what Jesus says, amazing. I probably have to stop now. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. People always say to me, why why didn't he just say it plain? Dude, I don't know what to tell you. This Word of God is meditative literature. Okay, Meditative literature means it's designed to make you think. Supposed to engage your brain. When Jesus said, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God, he's quoting Daniel 7. In Daniel chapter 7, it says, One like the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is Yahweh. Almighty God. One like the Son of Man. So what, what, uh, what Daniel is saying is one, a person that looks like man comes before the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days says to him, sit on my throne. Who does God ever say that to? Yeah, the son. Who do I say it to? My son. Who do you say it to? Your son. This is not difficult to understand. When Jesus said, I'm going to, from now on, after this day, I'm going to be seated on the throne of God, and I'll judge you that's what he's saying i'll judge you're judging me now but after this i'm judging you 
Everybody. And they knew exactly what he said. You think they don't understand what he said? You, all you have to do is look at the next verse. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand, power of God. So they said then, well, then are you the Son of God? Do they know what he just said? Why did they ask that question? Why would that spring to their lips randomly? Because the only person God the Father would let sit on his throne is God the Son. Are you the Son of God then? Are you the Son of God? And so he said to them, You say that I am. And we go, oh, that, what that means is, well, you think I am. Are you outside your noodle? They're going to put him on a cross, depending on the next answer he gives. You really think that answer was, well, if you say, I'll tell you what, what you say that I am means. Yeah, what you said is true. Yeah. I'm the son of God. How do I know that? Because I look at the next verse. It's not complicated. So they said, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it from what? Did he say? His own what? Yeah. We heard it from his own lips. In their world, that was plain Jane. Yes, I'm the son of God. In our world, 2,000 years later, our language is a little confused. Do you not know that? There, is there a reason why people struggle with spelling in English? And we have three words spelled the same way. It means totally different things. No? I'm still confused by which there, there, there. Which there, there is there. Oh, oh, oh. We spell them all different, but they sound the same. Yeah, I know. Language has limitations, guys. But this was clearly understood by the men that were there. Three kind of people look at their brokenness. They're in this story. One who recognizes brokenness and runs to a savior. Ones that recognize their brokenness and could care less. They just mock and beat. And ones who say, I ain't broke. Two of those people always reject the Lord. Only one of them comes before him and says... Save me. Which one are you? The Bible tells us the truth. Because the one we most closely relate to is probably Peter. Why? Because we deny him too. Why? Because we struggle to tell the truth too. Why? Because we can see our brokenness in Peter, can't we? Wow, I, I look like that. I act like that. I do stuff like that. So let's follow his example. What did he do? He wept bitterly over his sin. He repented. He ran to Jesus. What did Jesus do? He forgave him and restored him. Do you know that? Peter, do you love me? Yea, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yea, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I'm screwed up. But you know I love you. Tend my sheep. God's not shocked by what Peter did. God knows. He says this, I know your weakness. 
I know your frame. You were made of the dust. I don't expect all that much from a dirt clod. But God says, if you'll surrender to me, man, you can't even believe what I can do in your life and through you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning. God, we thank you for what your word declares. God, I pray that you just help us get our eyes off of ourselves and all our issues, <coughs> all of our problems, and help us put our eyes on you. Help us recognize, I need to bring my brokenness as an offering to God. I need to fall broken at his feet. Because when I fall broken at his feet, he always does the same thing. He lifts me up. And when he lifts me up, church, there's nothing better. When he puts his hand under my chin and he tilts up my eyes and my tears still staining my cheek and he says to me, I love you. I've just been waiting for you to recognize these same things in you. And I want to take them. I want to, I want to set you free. Then that's how, and I do, I got to do that. I'm <laughs> like... My life for 55 years has been spent in times running my own thing and times broken before God. And that's going to be what marks my life. If the Lord keeps me for the next 20 years, I'm going to fall broken before Him as many times as I need to to be empowered by His Spirit to do what God wants to do in my life. And as soon as I think, oh, I've got it, I'm set free, I'm, I'm never going to struggle, I'm never going to have issues again, you know what? We all struggle with this thing. I've heard people say, well, there's no such thing as a 12-step. There's one step. Okay. Well, just so you know, I've taken that one step more than 12 times. I've taken that one step more than 20 times. I've taken that one step more than 50 times i got to come to Jesus every day. Not to be re-saved. I'm not talking about re-salvation. I'm talking about repentance. I gotta, I'm gotta. i talking about bowing before my king and saying, God, I messed that up. I, I was too harsh in my words when I spoke to this person. Or or I, I, my heart wasn't ready for this situation. Or, or whatever thing. Whatever thing. Whatever way of a hundred ways I fail. The Bible says... A righteous man, a righteous man falls seven times a day and rises again. It's not about how much I fall. It's about how many times I will get back up. It's always too soon to quit. So we come to you, God, and I pray that we would come to you in an attitude of repentance and be broken before you so that you can make me whole, that I might accomplish this day's task in your power. And may I come to you tomorrow the same way. So, God, you be glorified as your church is called to life surrendered to you as your church is called to life exalting you 
And when our day comes to say, will I keep my eyes on Jesus? Will I say, I'm not going to deny him today. And they throw the bag over my head. Just like they did for Peter one day. Man, I want to be the strong, the person standing strong in the spirit of God. Because I don't have to be afraid. There ain't nothing anybody can do to me. Nothing they can do to me. The worst they can do is put me in the presence of my Savior. Do your worst. God, I pray as you call us to make our colors clear. Who do you say I am? That's what Jesus wants to hear from us right now. And I say you are the son of God who gave himself for me. God, I pray you be glorified as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I believe you are the way.